The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Jesus came down with the twelve apostles and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven. For that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. You can almost be certain that at some point in your life and in mine, we will come to that place where we know that we have reached the end of everything that we have in order to deal with a situation that's before us. And when I think about that, as I was thinking about preparing this sermon, uh, and I was trying to get an example that might connect, the one that always comes to mind for me uh, seems uh, somewhat trite, but yet in the moment that it occurred, it was very important to me. I had been, uh, I was canon to the ordinary in South Dakota, and part of my responsibility was deployment, so finding clergy, especially finding clergy to serve in mission congregations out in the western part of the state on reservations. And we had a hard time doing that, as you might guess. The starting salary out there is $35,000. So it wasn't very appealing uh, for even for those who were just out of seminary. Well, I had been trying particularly hard to fill a position in Chamberlain, South Dakota, which was not a difficult place to serve. And part of that ministry was uh, ministry to the Mani Shoshe Cluster, which was a group of, uh, of congregations of Native Americans. But it was really a good place to be. It wasn't all that difficult. But I tried and I tried and I tried. I made phone calls, we put ads in the living church, we did everything we could think of, and we could not find anyone to come and serve Manish Oshay. Finally, one day out of desperation, I think I had received a letter, another turn down, even to talk about it. 
I went in to see the uh, lay assistant who was the administrator of the diocese. And I said to him, Barney was his, is his name, I said, Barney, I've had it. I can't fill that position. <laughs> I said, you know, God has got to do God's part in this. <laughs> I've done all I can do. I'm fed up with it. <laughs> and I really was angry at God that morning because I felt that we had been let down. Well, I walked back to my office after venting. I sat down at my desk and the phone rang. And it was a priest in St. Louis wondering about that position we had out in Chamberlain, South Dakota. Now, I might think of that as a coincidence, and I tend to think of it as a coincidence, but I also realized that until I could really let go, until I could really say, I can't do this anymore, it was only then that it was possible for something to happen that it was possible for God to do something in my life that would make a difference. We live in a culture that says to us that it's all about how much money you have, how much power you have, how much authority you have. It's all about being a type A. It's all about being an alpha male. It's all about being in control. And what Jesus says to us that is not how you are blessed, but rather you are blessed when you open your hands and you say, I don't have anything. I don't have anything that I can do to solve this problem, to deal with this situation. And we turn to God and suddenly we find that we are blessed. I think that we see that very clearly in this morning's gospel. Jesus, before he preached these Beatitudes, uh, this Sermon on the Plain, had before that been in the synagogue and had uh, gotten into quite a confrontation about healing someone on the Sabbath. And then he comes down to this area where there's uh, obviously a, a high place and a plain down below it. And Jesus goes up to this high place with a number of his followers and he spends the night in prayer and then decides that he is going to name the twelve. And I think sometimes we miss that. We think that he's calling people all along the way and he's kind of forming this gathering. But in Luke, it's very clear Jesus has called some people to follow him, but it is in that night of prayer with a lot of his followers around him that Jesus finally decides this is the group. These are the twelve that will be closest to me, that will be nearest to me that I'll share everything with, and they shall be apostles, ones who are sent out. And then he comes down the mountain, down to the plain, and there is a huge gathering of people. And one can imagine that it was really a noisy, smelly, crowded gathering because Jesus had become so popular. They had heard about his healing. They knew all of the wonderful things he was saying, teaching, and what he was doing. And they wanted simply to hear a word of mercy, to have his hand touch them so they might be healed. They had come there believing that their lives were going to be transformed by someone they thought could transform their lives. And then Jesus turns and he faces, he looks at those twelve that he has just commissioned. And he starts to teach them. And he does this in the midst of this crowd that is made up of people who are hungry, the poorest of the poor, 
People who are crying, perhaps because of the, the pain in their body that they need healed. And he says, these are the blessed ones. These are the ones who are blessed. Now, anybody who knew anything about what life was like at that time knew that people who were blessed didn't have to come out to some dusty plain. They didn't have to come out in the heat of the day and stand before some Messiah. They didn't need that because they had land. They had position in the culture. They had everything they needed to be blessed. And everybody could look at them and knew immediately, those are the ones who are blessed. But Jesus turns all that on its head. And he says, these, the ones who are hungry today, the ones who are crying and hurting today, these are the ones who are blessed. And the reason they are blessed is because they have come knowing they cannot do it themselves. They have come believing that this person, Jesus, has something that can transform their lives and make their life different. I believe on that day, his disciples learned something that they never, ever dreamed they would have to be taught. I think they learned something about themselves and what they thought might be important as they followed this Jesus. I believe they learned something that transformed their lives that day. And he even said to them, blessed are you when they revile you, when they do all manner of things against you to hurt you because of me. Because remember, Jesus had just been reviled in the synagogue because he had healed someone on the Sabbath. I believe that was an important lesson, perhaps the most important lesson for that early church, that early gathering of people who were following Jesus to learn. And I think it's an important lesson for us to learn as a church as well. Today we're going to have our annual meeting and you'll see that we have uh, a budget that is, uh, is well supported by this congregation. We have, I think, uh, just a wonderful annual report that talks about the many things that are going on in our congregation. And it also points to things beyond us, things that we need to be doing and are doing beyond our walls, because that is where the gospel is truly lived. I recall when we were in San Antonio, uh, uh, our rector there, uh, Ralph Shuffler, would often talk about the church being the place where we come to be equipped. And so many times people think of the church as the destination, that this is the place that we come to to be fed and that somehow we even possibly entertained, especially in some of the more contemporary churches where it looks more like a theater and a presentation than it does worship. But he said, this is where you come to be equipped so that you may go out as ministers, as little Christs into the world around you. If we do not equip people for ministry beyond these doors, we have failed as a church. That is our responsibility. And for us to be a healthy church, we need, first of all, to build ourselves up to the point where we are truly healthy within and that we are caring for one another. I think one of the things that's been so wonderful over the last year in particular has been the work of the Caring Connection in, in making it clear to us that we need to care for one another. Because it's in caring for one another that we are built up 
and we are equipped to be able to go and care for others. And so I think over these next couple of years, we're going to need to balance caring for ourselves and looking beyond ourselves to care for others. The thing that's always disturbing about this particular uh, lesson of the Beatitudes is that we have those woes. And the woes, again, are a reminder that those of us who believe we've finally arrived and we've got it all need to remember that that isn't necessarily what it means to lead a blessed life. I think that our gospel lesson today calls us individually and as a church to come before the one who says you can be blessed. Your life can be totally blessed because it can be transformed. And we as a church can be transformed. I want to end with a prayer that is, uh, was written by Thomas Merton. And those of you who were part of the Connect program uh, last fall know this prayer. And I think it, it's an important prayer. I've carried it in my prayer book for years now, uh, in my little prayer book that I take with me to the hospital and when I visit people. The prayer is important to me because it is a prayer really of submission. It's saying, in a sense, you know, I don't get it all, but I somehow trust that you do, God. And perhaps this is our prayer, as those who come before Jesus and say, we need to be transformed. We need life-changing touch from Jesus the Messiah. Here's the prayer. My Lord God. I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself, and the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you, and I hope that I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may not know, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always. Though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death, I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my peril alone. Amen.